is risen. Wow, did somebody prep you guys for that? I am impressed. It's almost like you knew what to do when I said that. That is amazing. That takes me to thinking that maybe some of you have actually been to an Easter Sunday service somewhere before in your life. Um, That is amazing, Uh, except there's this one sort of downside to that, and that is that it's kind of like going to see a really good, suspenseful movie and then going to see it again, right? Do you, do you remember, hopefully this is not a spoiler, uh, 25-year-old movie, but do you remember the movie The Sixth Sense? You remember the first time you saw that movie? I know some of you are like, I'm a Christian, I do not go to the movie theaters. Okay, well, for the rest of us pagans, we go to the movies sometimes, and I remember that movie Sixth Sense, and there's this massive twist at the end. I, it doesn't count as a spoiler, because if you haven't seen it now, you probably are never going to see it, but um, there's a massive twist at the end, and you go, whoa, I totally didn't see that coming, and then all you want to do is go tell all your friends, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe how this movie ends, and then if you see it a second time, it's boring. You already know the twist. You already know what's going to happen. You already know where it's going. And Easter, we run the risk of having that exact same thing happen to us. Because for most of us, this is not the first time we've heard the story, right? Um, Easter can be sort of like that, that. I heard a story about a family who, they, they weren't really a church-going family, but uh, Easter was different, and so they would go on Easter Sunday every year, and they would always go to the sunrise service that was offered in their town every year, and so as their kids got older, it got harder and harder to get their kids up, right? And they had like a 12-year-old at this point, and it's five in the morning, and mom is shaking him awake, and, and he's like, what, what? And she's like, we're going to the Easter service. Hurry, get up. It's going to be great. And he's like, why do we have to go to this thing? Every year, the guy tells the same story, and every year, it ends the same way. Leave me in bed. Now, that's the risk that we run. I bet none of you today got up this morning and thought to come into church and said, man, I wonder what the preacher's going to talk about. (laughs) But... Because it's such a familiar story, and because we know how it turns out, it's dangerous. It's easy for us to sort of yawn, think we could check out, think we know the story and go, yeah, big deal, I get it. That's why uh, we spent the last two weeks here at Grace Fellowship talking about the problem that is solved by Easter. And, and if you're, if you're uh, new here and you, you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I encourage you, go to our church website, go to our YouTube channel, check out the last two weeks of messages because it really was sort of the setup for today's message. And the point of those last two weeks here, I told you to go watch them. They're like long and boring and some bald guys talking on and on. But, um, but let me summarize it for you. In the last two weeks, basically, I said two things. We have a massive problem. All of us, as human beings, 
We have a problem. The Bible sums it up this way. In Romans chapter three, verse 23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say some have sinned. It says all of us have sinned. And it doesn't say that you're not better than your neighbor or you're not better than somebody that you can find who's a little worse than you. It says you fall short of the glory of God. So welcome, visitors. My job today is to offend you right at the beginning as early as I can. The scripture says we are sinners. And that wouldn't be such a huge problem except for the rest of what it says. It says the wages or the cost or the price of sin is death. And it's not just talking about physical death, although it includes that. It's talking about spiritual death. It's talking about eternal separation from God. So this is a big problem. And we go about our days and we go about our weeks ignoring the problem and thinking everything is just fine. But the truth of the matter is, and all of us know this, that there is a day when there is a time of reckoning and that's a huge problem. So I don't want to talk to you about the answer to the problem until we establish that there is a huge problem. It was that very real problem that led up to the day that we now call Good Friday. I hope some of you were here on Good Friday for our worship concert. It was amazing. Um, But the focus of Good Friday is the cross. And one of the things I just do as a personal habit for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so, is uh, every Good Friday, I get some time and I get a copy of the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and I watch it. And I don't enjoy it. And nobody I know that has ever watched that movie has enjoyed it. It's hard to watch. It's painful, it's gruesome, it's bloody, it's all of those kinds of things. But it's a fairly accurate representation of what Jesus went through on that Good Friday on the cross in order to pay the price for our sins. And, and the thing is that if we could just put ourselves for a second in the shoes of those who don't know how the story ends... If we could just think for a second of what it must have been like to those who were the followers of Jesus, who had put their hope in Jesus, and now the cross had blown their hopes to smithereens. If we could just think that for them, Good Friday seemed like a disaster. Good Friday to them seemed like a defeat. It seemed like the end. It seemed dark. It seemed hopeless. But if Easter tells us anything... It tells us that with God, things are not always as they seem, amen? Amen. Things are not always as they seem. Today, we know that day so long ago as Good Friday, but nobody called it good then. Nobody. To the followers of Jesus, and there were thousands of them in and around Jerusalem, It was a devastating day. It was an absolute disaster. It seemed like all of their hopes were dashed. But even to those who were against Jesus, it didn't seem like a good day. To the Jewish leaders, their life was thrown into a major quandary. When when Jesus hung on the cross and the sky became dark and the earth quaked and and the temple itself was damaged and the veil was torn from heaven to earth and there was a division in the ranks of the Jewish people and suddenly even the Jewish leaders went, whoa, this was a bad day. 
And, and for Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who sentenced Jesus, it was a bad day for him. There was upheaval now in Jerusalem. There was a, it was right on the edge of a riot. He knew he was gonna be in more trouble with Caesar and he was already in trouble with Caesar. He had just released a murderer and an insurrectionist named Barabbas out into the general public as a way of thinking he could avoid the crucifixion of Christ and it hadn't worked and now he had to figure out how do I deal with this guy and worst of all, far worse than all the rest of it, his wife was mad at him. (laughs) Some of you married guys know what I'm saying. (laughs) To Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, the other women who were his close followers, the scripture describes their heartbrokenness on that day. Judas was dead by his own hand. And the other 11 disciples were hiding out. Their dreams are destroyed. Their lives are in danger. They don't know where to go or what to do. And so it brings us to this question, if we're gonna now take this from 2,000 years ago and move it into our lives, it brings us to this question. What do you do when your world seems to be falling apart? Where do you turn When your world seems to be falling apart, when you get called into the boss's office and you think, I must be getting a promotion, and instead you get a pink slip. When when you go and answer the front door after six months of being out of work and you find sheriff's deputies with your landlord and eviction papers. What do you do when you're a 10-year-old kid and your parents sit you down and explain they're getting a divorce? What do you do when you're a 15-year-old and the pregnancy test has a big plus on it? Today, I want to introduce you to a couple of people who faced this kind of hopelessness, this kind of darkness, and did the wrong thing. As their world was falling apart, they turned in the wrong direction. And we can learn from them. And their story is in Luke chapter 24. If you happen to bring a Bible with you, just turn to the Gospel of Luke. It's in your New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. This is at the end of Luke chapter 24. Uh, and you should have it on your phone or in your iPad or in a, one of these old-fashioned things that looks like this. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to pick it up in verse 13 of Luke 24. Now, now you need to know that already Jesus has been crucified. Already the tomb is empty, although most people still don't know that yet. And here we are in Luke 24, verse 13. It says, and behold, two of them, two of who? Two of Jesus' disciples. Two of them We're going that very day to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? See, this just proves that Jesus is godlier than me because this is where my sarcasm would kick in, but not, not for Jesus. He just says, verse, verse 19, and he said to them, what things? 
And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word and in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. We don't know much about these two guys. Um, In fact, we don't even know if they were two guys. We just know they were two people. We do know this. They were disciples of Jesus, um, but we also know that they were not part of the inner circle. They were not part of the 12 that we think of when we hear the word disciples or apostles. No, there were a lot of disciples of Jesus, thousands of them really, who followed him and went from place to place and listened to his teaching and put their trust in him. And these were obviously among them. Now, one of them is a guy. His name is Cleopas. And Cleopas is introduced to us here by name, but never mentioned anywhere else again in scripture. Everything we see right here is everything we know about Cleopas. And the other one we don't even know because that the other person is not named, which causes some Bible scholars to think maybe it was Cleopas's wife because it would have been typical of a historian to mention the name of the husband and not the name of the wife. And so that's a possibility, but we really have no idea. We just know these are two people who had put their hope in Jesus and now their hope has been crushed. When Jesus was crucified, when Jesus spoke these words, it is finished from the cross and his head dropped and he breathed his last. When, when the, when the um, Roman soldier came with the spear, shoving it between his ribs up through his lung and into his heart and pulled it back out and the blood and water flowed out together, showing that his heart had actually burst inside of the pericardium. And if you ever get the question, what was Jesus' cause of death, this tells us it was a broken heart. Jesus died actually of his heart bursting inside the pericardium. That's why blood and water flowed out together. When when Jesus then was taken from the cross, hurriedly wrapped up in some linens and thrown into a borrowed tomb, and the stone was rolled against the opening of the tomb and sealed, and sealed with the Caesar's signet ring, and a, a squad of soldiers was placed to guard it to make sure that tomb never opened again. These were the last experiences of these people before they took off for home. Their hearts were broken. They're grieving. They were hurt. They were scared. They were confused. They were no doubt feeling hopeless. What do you do when you feel like that? What do you do when it seems dark? When it seems hopeless? Well, these guys, they wanted to get away. And as I was thinking of that this week, I was, I, this just shows how my brain, I was thinking about those uh, Southwest Airlines commercials, want to get away? You know those, those commercials that the, the girl is like snooping in her friend's medicine cabinet and then she knocks, the whole thing goes down and says, want to get away? 
The one, I actually looked it up. I'm like, give me something to tell these people. I looked it up online. The one on getaway ads, there was one I never saw on television. Maybe you've seen it on television. I'm guessing it didn't make the TV. But here's what happens in the ad. It's this, this young couple and he's dropping her off at home at the end of a date and you got that sort of tension going on. Is he gonna kiss her? Is he not gonna kiss her? And he leans in and he kisses her and she gets this huge smile on her face and she kind of fidgets and she goes... Okay, good night. She gets out of the car and closes the door and walks up the walkway toward the house. And that's when the camera goes back to the guy and you hear this horrific sound come out of the bottom end of him. (laughs) And he's obviously been holding this thing in the entire date. And he lets it rip. And, And he just gets this smile on his face like, oh, thank you, God. And that's the moment when she opens the door and says, I forgot my cell phone, and she reaches in. (laughs) And she just gags. And on the screen it says, want to get away? (laughs) Bet you weren't expecting a story like that in church today. So... So that's what these guys are dealing with. This is a horrible moment. What do you want to do? We want to get away. We've just experienced the most horrific experience of our lives and we don't know what to do and we don't know where to go. We just need to get out of here. And so they take off for what we assume is their home in Emmaus. They wanted to put as much distance between them and that bloody cross as they possibly could. And so they took off and headed for Emmaus and that's when they're greeted by a fellow traveler along the road and the scripture says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him so they have no idea this is the risen Jesus. Of course, we know who it was. We've seen the movie before. We know about the empty tomb by now. We know about the angels speaking to Peter and to the women. We know that Peter and James ran, or Peter and John ran ahead to the tomb and found the grave clothes, but nobody there. We know about this, but they had no clue. And the Bible says God prevented them from recognizing Jesus. So they're still clueless even while they're talking to him and they're trying to get away. But God wants us all to know something. When things are dark, that is not the time to turn away from the cross. That's the time to turn to the cross. When things are bleak and when things seem hopeless, that's the time to turn back to the cross. You see, the cross is where Jesus settled our debt once and for all. When he said, it is finished, he didn't just mean the time on the cross, he meant, I have finished paying their debt. It meant that our sins could be washed away. It meant that we could be forgiven but the devil will always entice you to run away from God and run toward something else. We're tempted to handle sin on our own. We're tempted to pretend that our sin is not really that big of a deal. Or we're tempted to think, on the other hand, that our sin is so bad that God would never welcome me into his life. And so we turn away from him. 
But that is what the cross was designed to solve. That's what the cross is all about. It's because of the cross that our debt has been paid. If you're struggling with sin, welcome to the group. We're all struggling with sin. If you're feeling um, uh, sort of incomplete, if you're feeling as if you don't measure up, if you're feeling maybe not good enough for a holy God, well, thanks for recognizing it because it's true. You're not good enough for a holy God. That's what the scripture says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of a holy God. We're all in that place. Jesus went to the cross to solve that problem. Jesus really has paid our debt. The cross of Jesus was remarkably horrible. It's a horrible, bloody instrument of torture and death. And yet the scripture says that Jesus willingly endured the cross, though he despised it with all of its shame, for the glory set before him so that he could pay the price for your sin and mine. Guys, that's why Easter's a big deal. If you think Easter's a big deal because your mom makes your favorite dish, you have missed the point. If you think Easter's a big deal because of Easter egg hunts, and by the way, we're having an Easter egg hunt for the kids a little bit later. I don't wanna see any of you guys out there grabbing eggs from those little kids. If you think that's what Easter's about, that's what makes Easter special, you have missed the point. The point is this, we're sinners. And if Jesus didn't go to the cross and pay the price for our sin, we would be hopeless. Good Friday is good because the cross solves the problem of our sin and Easter is good because the resurrection solves the problem of death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about this. Uh, turn there real quick, and then I'll let you go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's just, uh, I don't know, 50 pages to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 55. Here's where Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus has robbed death of its power over those of us who put our trust in Christ. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks be to God. It, it, he pays the price. See, see, the cross says that God treated Jesus as if he had lived our lives so he could treat us as if we had lived Jesus' life. That's what the cross does for us. And the empty tomb says death has no power over us. That says that if he is risen, we can be risen as well by faith. It's because of the resurrection that we have a living hope that we sang about today. Look at what those guys said to Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Go back to Luke. Sorry, I should have told you to leave your finger there. Go back to Luke, verse, uh, chapter 24, and I wanna read from verse 18 again. 
Listen to what these guys say. I always laugh at these guys. It's always funny to watch other people do stupid stuff because it's rare for me. But anyways, Luke 24 and verse 18 Here's what it says. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Here it is, verse 21. But we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. They were hoping that, but now they're not. They were hoping that he was the Messiah, but now how could he be? After all, he's dead. You see, if Jesus goes to the cross and pays the price for our sin and stays in the tomb, according to the book of 1 Corinthians, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because the cross alone does not solve the problem of death. Jesus raises on our behalf to give us that life. These guys had hoped that that would be the case and now they've lost their hope. Their circumstances had robbed them of their hope. A lot of us can relate to that right now. Circumstances in life that drive a wedge between us and God. Circumstances in life that drive a wedge between us and other people. Circumstances may have caused us to to want to turn away from God and, and run and try to handle things on our own. And sometimes our circumstances can be can feel as if they've become the definition of reality. But if Easter tells us anything. It tells us that our circumstances are not the king. Jesus is the king. Our circumstances are not the king. Jesus is the king. He knows what you're going through, and he is your hope. He sees your struggles, and he is your hope. He he knows you're confused by your circumstances, but he is your hope. So don't run from the cross. It's time to run to the bloody cross that, that solved the problem of sin. It's time to run to the empty tomb which solved our problem with death. It's time to recognize that while you have been running, Jesus has been pursuing you. These guys were halfway to Emmaus and Jesus is like, you know what? I'm gonna go get those guys. He pursued them. I love this in Psalm 23. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. God's goodness chases you. God's mercy pursues you. You can walk away from God, but no matter how much distance you put between you and God, he will make up the distance if you will just stop and turn around. That's what the word repent means. It means to stop going from the direction you're going and turn around. God makes up the difference, comes to where you are and gets you. He is your hope. Easter's not just a day for family and candy and eggs and fun. Easter is a reminder that no matter how great our problems or how hard our circumstances in life may be, Jesus is our living hope. Isn't it about time? Isn't it about 
time. To stop running from our hope and start running to our hope. The problem is sin. The problem is death. The solution is Jesus. He is risen. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here because I feel like if we're going to really believe what we've just been saying, that he is indeed risen, the only appropriate response to that is for us to praise him with all of our hearts, to give our lives to him, to thank him. I want to say to those of you who may be thinking, gosh, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I don't know if he would ever really accept me. I don't know if if I could ever stop running. Listen, if you don't walk with Jesus, if you don't know Jesus personally as your own Lord and Savior, I'm not talking about your parents used to take you to church. I'm not talking about, well, I know Jesus was a good man. I'm talking about whether or not you have a personal relationship with him. It's as simple as this, to be able to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I can't solve my problem, so I accept your solution. Oh, God, come into my heart, change my life, and I'll serve you for the rest of my days. And by his grace, not by your works, by his grace, the Bible says you will be saved. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for what we could not do for ourselves, weak as we were, you have done for us in the strength of Christ. That the ultimate weakness of the cross is actually the ultimate strength of God. That the foolishness of the gospel is actually the wisdom of God. That, that our weakness is made strong when we turn to you. And so God, we want to thank you for the bloody cross. We want to thank you for the empty tomb. We want to thank you that our greatest foes, sin and death, have been defeated. The stinger has been removed from the bee. The venom has been removed from the serpent. And we can walk in newness of life because of your grace. Oh God, wherever we're at, for every person within the sound of my voice, I pray you would just meet each one of us where we are. And that you would wrap your arms around us and welcome us into your family. Pour out your grace, Father. We thank you that you are risen indeed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.